Hello guys, you're listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. And what we want to talk about is all things EFL uh, for once. Uh, it was a busy weekend. I think it was actually a smashing weekend of EFL action. Uh, there was plenty of uh, excitement. There were plenty of storylines and, as always, plenty of change in the league table. So lots to get through today. Uh, unfortunately, we can't be together today so on the line with me George uh, how are you getting on matey good weekend yeah good working for most of it um which is how it should be I guess um had a fun <laughs> you don't seem fun... you don't seem very convinced no I know it was good it was good I'm trying to think what I did we, you and I were on Sky Sports in the Sky Sports News studio on a Friday night um standing up in front of the screen in front of the camera which is always good and then, uh, yes, Saturday, sorry, I was at Craven Cottage. Then I saw another five-goal thriller <laughs> for, for BBC Radio 5 Live. Um, where all the goals came in the first half, which is quite handy because I'm quite busy during the second half. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Hell, hell of a start for good. your five live stuff. Two, go- two games, ten goals, a uh, couple of reds as well. Well, one red back in that Sheffield Wednesday game. Mm. Been a hell of a start. And uh, I know that everyone's been enjoying your reports on Sports Report. I certainly have as well. Uh, there was a great moment. Who? What, what was the sequence uh, after the games on Saturday where it went from Frank Lampard into George Ellick and then you were cut off because there'd been a goal somewhere? Is that right? Anyway, I was I was grinning was, from you, ear you, to you, ear. You're, you're muddling it up. It was, uh, it was uh, being cut off before the game because of a goal um, at Leicester. Oh, and yeah. then me and Frank kind of shared the mic during the uh, the during sports report, um, not the first time Frank and I have kind of had to share a bit of a bit of airspace. So <laughs> no, it was good. It nice, was good fun. yeah, enjoyable, very enjoyable stuff. Friday night on Sky was good fun as ever. It didn't feel like we got the the January transfer window fireworks that perhaps we would have liked to cover uh, given given our presence there. But uh, in general, more sensible, I would say, uh, Championship clubs. In January, which I, if I'm honest, although it goes against the grain slightly, I'm, I'm all for. Uh, I, I tend to think that generally squads do have or teams do have uh, decent squads of players and uh, to, to overextend yourselves in January, uh, sometimes with quite a small chance of success, uh, I think can be quite dangerous. So uh, for the most part, not too much done, but a couple of interesting things. We wave goodbye, of course, to Jared Bowen, which was very sad for us. He's now in the Premier League. Uh, although we might be, be see- back quite soon. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say we might we might <laughs> well see him back in claret and blue in the Championship in a few months. Uh, just a quick disclaimer: I uh, <laughs> my weekend was spent in agony, having <laughs> having worked on the Quest show on Saturday uh, with Dean Ashton and Sam Parkin and Colin Murray, who produced a magnificent show. Uh, I then threw my back out playing with my niece. Uh, on a slide in a park on Sunday morning. So I'm doing this from my bed, propped up with lots of cushions, feeling like an old man. Uh, if there are any sort of groans, then just don't panic. Don't panic. It's all good, uh, uh, and I need to get that sorted so that we can get back on the golf course soon. But let's get mm. into uh, let's get into the championship action because, I mean, pretty ridiculous. I don't have the stat to hand, which is a bad start to this pod because you know normally very well prepared. But I think I'm right in saying that on the 1st of January, just uh, four weeks ago, essentially, or just over, um, the, the gap between first in the championship and sixth was something like 12 points, maybe 14 points with West Brom and Leeds having opened up that gap. It's now six points between the top six in the championship. I mean, to say there's a title race uh, is is an understatement. To say there's a, a a few teams now gunning realistically for automatic promotion would also uh, be true. And it's 
bloody exciting. George, some big results this week as well. I think we should probably start, really, with the new league leaders, West Brom, swapping places with Leeds again because it was their first win in a long time, a, a comfortable-ish home win against Luton Town uh, and a good debut for Callum Robinson. Well, and a clean sheet at home, which I think was something that Simon Billich will be very happy to have got. Um against the Luton side who could have provided a bit of a, a bit of a banana skin after beating Derby 3-2 mm. in the week. Um, you mentioned Robinson. I think he was he was kind of the story that came out of what was not a particularly exciting game. Um, not a game. It wasn't necessarily a performance from West Brom that you would, you know, you wouldn't come away from watching that thinking there are your championship winners. And, and I still have a few reservations as to whether or not they will end up being the winners. Uh, Robinson was lively um, as we've come to expect from him. He basically shot at any opportunity he could. Um, he had six shots in the game, three from outside the area, tested the keeper a couple of times, had one off the bar, which was deflected as well. And that's going to be a pretty consistent theme um, for for him and for West Brom. We know that he's pretty good at doing it. Um, I think there will be occasions where, you know, when it's not a comfortable home win, uh, maybe some fans will be a little bit um, frustrated with his willingness to do so. But he's certainly a positive addition to that team with, with Dian Garner out for, for who knows how long. Um, it feels like having him as an option is really important. And, you know, for Luton, this is, it was a bit of a game to nothing. Uh, you know, similar, as I'm sure we're about to talk about, similar for, for Wigan at, at Leeds. Anything they got was a bonus without expecting to get anything. Um, and I would still say it's been a decent um, week or so for Luton because that win in midweek got them back in touch um, with the pack and with Huddersfield and Stoke both losing. Um, it still feels like there's something to play for for them, even if uh, escaping relegation is pretty unlikely. Yeah, absolutely. West Brom's first win since the 14th of December. They picked up four points in seven games after that. So you can see why that gap that Leeds and West Brom had is now arbitrary. And because also Leeds lost this weekend. Uh, you mentioned a midweek win for Luton. It is important to point out that they've there have been two game weeks since we last discussed things on the Monday pod. So props to the two teams who won two games in a week. And that was Bristol City, who we'll get on to, and Wigan Athletic. Wigan, George, beating Leeds. Uh, from a Wigan perspective, back-to-back -back wins in the league for the first time this season after a good home win against Sheffield Wednesday. A late winner on the right side of the late winner coin pretty much for the first time all season, having uh, seen them concede so many late in games. That really gave them a boost. And then uh, a, a win against Leeds, uh, it was kind of like deja vu. It was kind of like Groundhog Day for the Leeds fans. But I want to focus from a Wigan perspective on the absolute joy that this must have given their fans because they'll feel like there have been many performances this season that have ended with their club not taking the points that they deserved based on the performance. And this is certainly the flip side of that. Uh, I mentioned uh, Groundhog Day because regular followers of this beautiful division will remember last season that Wigan, uh, probably the most absurd result actually that I can remember covering in the last few seasons was Wigan's win at Leeds last season with 10 men for the majority of the game. Uh, and Paul Kendrick, who's the Wigan local journalist, an excellent uh, local journalist as well. The combined stats from those two games, so both games at Ellen Road in the last, well, what, 12 months or so, uh, one goal for Leeds, three for Wigan, from 54 shots that Leeds have had and just 13 uh, for Wigan. So Wigan have scored basically a quarter of their shots, Leeds 1.9% of their shots, uh, 34 from inside the box for Leeds to just five expected goals, 5.67 for Leeds in these two games. They've scored just one goal. 
Wigan 1.21 and they've got three from it. Um, touches in the opposition box. This is across two games. 14 for Wigan and 117 for Leeds. But both games won by Wigan Athletics. Absolutely astonishing. A brilliant day for Wigan fans. And, and George, uh, yeah, what else can, can you give me? Because... All I can say here is is Groundhog Day, a Leeds fan for his Sunday scouting. <laughs> is that meant to be a punt? Exactly. Well, take the ball out of my hands. What what can you add here from a, a Leeds perspective that we haven't already said a, a million times? Well, I'm I'm kind of stumped. I just don't understand how this can keep happening. Uh, I guess rightly, I guess you know, Keeper Dunkley and and Carney Smith getting a lot of the plaudits here, which is fair enough when you've got a side who keep a clean sheet away at Leeds. But, I mean, Leeds created so many chances. I mean, Naismith obviously uh, had a uh, one of the biggest moments of the game was his clearance off the line from, from Bamford's header, which he deserves credit for. But this wasn't a case. You know, I, I think centre-backs generally get, get credit when they prevent the opposition team from creating good chances and scoring goals. Leeds created plenty of good chances, but just couldn't put the ball away. Uh, and it's constant. I mean, Patrick Bamford yet again, he had seven shots in the game. He had three or four good chances. Um, he put in a delicious ball to Jack Harrison at the far post who couldn't convert. Mm. It, I just, I'm the completely point, the, the point baffled. Was, the point has been made that uh, next top scorer outside of Bamford is Harrison with five from 30 appearances. Then Alioski and Hernandez with four each. They both had some reduced playing time. Costa and Click with three. Dallas as well with three. That It's... It, there are multiple issues here in terms of converting chances, and the obvious one yeah. is Bamford, but the other one is everyone else as well needs to but step then, up. But, but, but at the same time, I mean, you, you can take some of the criticism away from Bamford, but if he's the person who's getting on the end of all the good chances, it's irrelevant what the others are doing, and it's relevant to compare it to last season because, you know, whilst others are, I mean, I, I get that Harrison is certainly a player who, who maybe should have converted one of his chances on Saturday. Uh, the first chance that he created in the game was. Brilliant work by him, cutting in off left-hand side, beating two players and hitting the base of the post um, across the keeper. Um, but, I mean, let's not kid ourselves that, you know, the fact that Click and, and uh, you know, Alioski aren't scoring at the rate that they maybe did last season, that doesn't change the fact that um, the striker is missing, is consistently missing chances. Mm. Uh, the, the frustrating thing, I think what we're going to see for Leeds is, you know, if I know... Marcelo, like I think I do, <laughs> Augustin isn't going to be in the squad again because this happens fairly consistently where he will not care. He, he, Bielsa won't have looked at that game and thought to himself, right, I made a mistake here. I need to bring in the player I've just brought in. If, if he's decided that he needs three weeks to work with him in training before he's ready for the squad, then I think he's going to give them that. And you know, if the team sheets come out on Saturday at Forest and they haven't, you know, they've got two massive games coming up, Forest and Leeds, sorry, Forest and Brentford. If on Saturday we, we, we see that Augustin isn't in the squad again, then I think Leeds fans are going to be pretty upset. Um, but you know, the key point to make again is that it's his fall that the, the fans are looking for someone to criticise. It's Bielsa's methods that have got them there in the first place. It's, Be it's Bielsa's methods that, um, that have enabled them to get into this position where they're so dominant in games. And the reason why they can't finish their chances, uh, for me, the buck stops with the striker. And whilst he, you know, he hasn't, he has scored goals this season, of course. I think most people would in, in a side set up like this. I think yet again on Saturday, the buck has to stop with Bamford. It was too poor. 
Augustin played for the under-23 today's and came off uh, hobbling, looking like he'd picked up an injury. So there's uh, something to keep an eye on there. Uh, we've got a new team in third. Uh, it's worth pointing out in midweek, Forrest went to Brentford and got a 1-0 win, uh, got ahead thanks to a, a deflected lolly effort and then defended like beavers to hold on to that lead, uh, showing all the the squad personality and bond and uh, character that that uh, keeps being um, flagged up as being uh, quite exceptional under Sabri Lamucci uh, and and possibly one of the reasons why they're able or have been able to hold on to Leeds very in a very impressive manner for, for a large part of the season. Uh, but they didn't do that against Birmingham on the weekend, so it didn't quite work out for them for the whole week. Uh, but a, a big moment there was a missed penalty by Graben. So. Uh, clearly a sliding doors moment, should have gone 2-0 up. Instead, uh, the equaliser was almost immediate from Scott Hogan uh, scoring his first goal for Birmingham on loan for Villa. So uh, that was a great win for, for Birmingham. Uh, Forest fans pointing to the injury of Samba Sow in midfield as being quite an important moment there. But we have got a new team in third, George, and you were at Craven Cottage. And I want to hear all about it <laughs> because, I mean, talk me through it. 3-2 at half-time. Fulham having been 3-0 up, some absolutely sensational goals that I saw, but also a feeling from Fulham fans that they were they were pretty thrilled to leave with uh, three points intact in the end. Yeah, there's no way they deserve to. Um, they were dominant. Uh, as they're as dominant as I've seen a team in any game this season for, um, for 35 minutes. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe will claim the goal that got them back into it. Uh, it looked like an own goal to me. But either way, I mean, they were totally dominant for them. They didn't really give Huddersfield a kick. And um, they scored three brilliant goals. Uh, Bobby could over Reed with a, you know, a fantastic bit of skill on the left-hand side. I don't know what Richard Stearman was doing. Um, seemingly, he, he was deciding, you know, you, you know how you, you want to show your, a player onto their weaker foot. I think he was just deciding he was going to show him to goal uh, whilst kind of doing a pirouette that made it look as if he was defending. It was really, really strange. <laughs> um, but it was still a great finish by Reed. Uh, once he got there, Kearney's, you know, touch and, and, and finish oh, was beautiful, sumptuous. So anyone who hasn't seen the Fulham goals, I'd recommend watching them. But um, but after that, it was just bizarre. Uh, I mean, it, uh, credit to Huddersfield here. I think too often, especially when you're a Fulham fan, watching what, hap- what, what happened afterwards, you would lay the blame at... Um, you know, you'd lay the blame at, at your team's door for, for being poor. But I think Huddersfield deserve real, real credit here. Um, their first two attacks, pretty much in the whole match, they scored with through Smith-Rowe and then, and then uh, Steve Mounier. Uh, but in the second half, they were the better team by miles. Um, it was Rodak who ended up being the man of the match. If you told me that Rodak was going to be the man of the match after half an hour of this game, I'd have been very, very surprised. <laughs> uh, but he pulled off a string of saves in the second half. Uh, really good to see. Um, Carlin Grant putting in a, a fantastic performance off the left. Good. He's a player who's struggled for form recently. Yeah, um, and I think that uh, he doesn't you know, seem Danny... to be the sort of number nine that the Cowley brothers are, are keen to be the no. fulcrum of their side. I, I mean, we saw a different side to him here. I mean, even when he played in, in a two for Charlton, he was always the the kind of the predatory goal scorer. Mm. When he played as a lone striker early this season and was scoring goals in a very poor team, he was that lone striker. And now we're seeing him playing off the left in a role where he's he's you know, he's playing almost like an inside forward. He's picking up the ball from wide areas. He's beating men. He's getting into decent positions onto a stronger right foot off that left-hand side. So um, I was really impressed by him. He could have easily broken his uh, his many drought um, in this game, but Rodak was was kind of up to the task. And yeah, I think everyone leaving that game probably had two thoughts. One, that Fulham were lucky in the end to get away with three points. And secondly, that if Huddersfield can continue putting in performances like that, but just making sure they don't start playing when they're 3-0 down, 
um, they should be absolutely fine. Uh, another team from West London that picked up a win in this top six race was Brentford. A 5-1 win against Hull. Now, uh, if you look at it as a week as a whole, we saw both sides of the coin here, really. We saw a disappointing home defeat at Nottingham Forest, a very tetchy Griffin Park crowd, as they saw their side really struggle to uh, produce anything, having gone behind. Now, all credit to, to Forest's defensive organisation, uh, but real feeling that a lack of plan B, uh, a lack of ideas against a low block and, and a couple of individuals slightly out of form. And, and it was a it was a disappointed Brentford fan base, I think, that travelled up to Hull. But then we saw the other side of the coin. Uh, we saw side Ben Rama scoring a an absolutely marvellous hat-trick. Uh, we saw... Uh, Watkins netting again and and at that point going ahead of Mitrovic, although Mitro then equalised, so they're still joint top at the chart. He equalised, I the, love it. In the goals <laughs> in the goal scoring charts. Uh, we saw a fantastic performance. We also saw a comedy uh, goalkeeping error from De- David Raya. Now, I would suggest that this is the right game to, uh, to, to miscontrol a, a hopeful punt forward and end up scoring what I think was given as an own goal. Um, but Obviously, a great response from Bees. Uh, they've got uh, quite favourable fixtures compared to some of their rivals coming up. Uh, in the next few weeks, they've got mostly home games. Firstly, against Middlesbrough, uh, then an away game against. Sorry, then a home game against Leeds, of course. Uh, away to Birmingham and then home to Blackburn. So it's a big few weeks for for, for Brentford. That every time they get a performance like this and a result like this. Uh, there seems to be a swell, not just from their own fans, but from other fans across the league that we follow on social media saying, yeah, yeah, this is Brentford making their run. Expect to see them in the top two by the end of the season. Uh, now, I'm not going to go as far as to say that because each time we say that, uh, it, things it, things seem to go the other way. But uh, I mean, a, a terrible week for your relationship with Brentford, George, given that they uh, nicked two of Oxford's best players in, in a way that was quite traumatic for you on, on Friday on deadline day. Yes, uh, Shannon Baptiste and about. Tariq Fosu, yeah, have both moved on. Um, I've been lucky enough to, yeah, as you say, um, The Athletic have asked me to write a piece on the transfers, which I think has been quite therapeutic in a way. I think uh, spending the last 48 hours talking to people who know, um, you know, the, I mean, you know it's a, the, the piece is about both of them, but but it largely focuses on Baptiste because I think that's where the... You know, the interesting story lies and it's where certainly my heart lies and uh, and speaking to people who who kind of know more about the deal and more about um, the players and a bit of the background behind it um, I think no matter what happens the, the three million pound fee that's been reported is two things it, it firstly seems very very low to Oxford fans because um, Tariq Fosu has a seven or had a 750 pound 750,000 pound release clause in his contract which was activated by Brentford. So that leaves £2.25 million for Shandon Baptiste. I'm pretty sure that right now, if you said to Brentford, how much would it cost us to take Shandon Baptiste off you? Um, you know, the irrespective of the fact that, um, that they've just signed him, I think that they are aware they've got a player whose value is, is much, much higher than that and has the potential to be worth, um, you know, probably stick an end on it, stick a zero on it kind of, um, kind of figures. Uh, but it seems fairly obvious from what's being said at the club, um, that there are clauses uh, involved. Yeah, of course. Which means that if Shandon Baptiste is as good as I think he is, if he's as good as lots of our fans think he is, the funny thing is, in, in you know four or five years, if he's playing at the top end of the, of the Premier League, you're going to have some fans saying, you know, we should never have let him go for that amount of money. But then the, the reality is, that's when the um, that's when the cash is going to really hit the club. 
because those clauses will be triggered and suddenly that three million will be dwarfed by the actual fee. So yeah, nice. um, very upset by by having by the fact I'm never going to see Shandon in yellow again. But I, um, I'm really excited to see how he gets on at, at Brentford. Well, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I personally, uh, and with no inside info on this, don't see them playing very much until between now and the end of the season for Brentford. Uh, either player, um, I think that. You know, I've no doubt that Baptiste can put some pressure on on Josh De Silva, uh, but actually, we do know that League One to Championship is quite a big step up. Baptiste has has not had a very consistently long run in the side uh, this season. I think he's still under a thousand league minutes, uh, so by no means been playing week in week out. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you look at someone like Drew Yearwood, who played a lot of football for Southend and Brentford signed him in the summer. Uh, if if they're quite sort of uh, careful with his integration into the first team. Uh, with Fosu, uh, as much as I have enjoyed watching him in spells for Oxford this season, that one really did surprise me. I, personally, I and and this is with complete recognition that Brentford's talent ID and recruitment is infinitely better than my own eye. Uh, I, I just don't see him becoming part of, of this Brentford side, which gets better every year, which has players that I think are already quite a lot better and, 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 and mm. more of a consistent threat than him. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree. I, I was I surprised agree. to see him sign a three and a half year contract, but I suppose uh, it is quite a low fee. So if he has got, again, like Baptiste, if he's got a, a high upside, then potentially that's what but Brentford then, are going to look to get out, out of him. But that's the thing I don't really get is I can't imagine. Like, I can't really see how he can be worth much more. I mean, he's mm. 24 years old, Terry yeah. Fosu. He's not a player who, you know, Shannon Baptiste is 21 and plays in, in a position where you're probably expecting his peak to be in, in four or five years. Mm. Whereas Tarek Fosu is approaching the age now for a wide player where he should be reaching that at the moment. So, And as you mentioned, I can't see him getting much game time in the Brentford first team. He'll, he'll be back um, on loan at Yellows by uh, by August. I don't think... So. <laughs> I have a feeling a few bridges have been burnt. Um, but uh, with Baptiste, I think that... I mean, I, I understand the Yearwood point. Um, but, you know, the year, what Yearwood... You know, the, the fees, let's say, for, for Yearwood and Baptiste are, are fairly significantly apart... And I'm pretty sure that whilst he would, I mean, certainly as long as there's a promotion push, unless he comes in and does something spectacular, he's not going to be like a mainstay in the team. But I'd be very surprised if he's not, um, you know, part of the squad and, and getting minutes by, you know, by the end of February. Okay. Well, uh, Bristol City, the other team that round off the top six, they got a win, a fifth win in six. All five wins with clean sheets as well. Uh, this is streaky Lee Johnson at his best. And not only that, but. By all accounts, not just Bristol City fans of this game, but QPR fans as well, uh, one of the individual performances of the season put in by Famara Jeju uh, up front for Great goal Bristol well. City. A fantastic diving header from a deep Jack Hunt cross. But not just that, just basically everything you want in your lone striker. Um, an absolutely fantastic performance physically and technically, even defensively at times, uh, leading from the front. Just brilliant and a great example, Jeju, as we've said a fair few times, of someone not just to focus on, you know, goals per game or, or whatever, because there's a lot more to it than that. Um, you know, he he's he is certainly not the most natural goal scorer at this level, but he has shown himself, I think, to be a perfectly good uh, option for Bristol City up front. And I know that there's, there's often been... Uh, excitement to get other players in and of course they did sign uh, Naki Wells in uh, towards the end of January um, but given the run that they're on given that it's partially predicated on a, a slight change of shape a 4-1-4-1 that you spoke about 
uh, on going up, going down on Thursday with Corey Smith at the base and Jeju as the lone striker. Uh, Wells is, is going to have a tough job shifting him at the moment. So a uh, really good win for Bristol City. They worth, are in what, what, sixth at the moment. Yeah, worth pointing out for anyone who hasn't listened to going up, going down, especially any, any Bristol City fans or anyone who fancies them for, for promotion, maybe give it a listen because we do what well, I do, a bit of a deep dive into the numbers behind them. And just want to point out again on Saturday, uh, they were outshot 18-11 by QPR. QPR also won the XG battle 1.61. So they are still, you know, in, at least in my head, they're kind of defying gravity at the moment with their lofty position. Okay, well, we will see. At the bottom, uh, there was one massive game, George. It was Charlton against Barnsley. We teed it up on going up, going down by saying that we thought that if Barnsley were to get safety this season to avoid relegation back to League One, that it was most likely Charlton that they would have to get above. After this win at the Valley by the home side, 2-1 win for Charlton, there's now nine points between the teams. Terrible news for Barnsley, but really when it needed to be uh, a proper performance for Charlton and a, a, a rare win when we're looking at the last few months. And a goal, of course, for Lyle Taylor, who, you know, it's been a, a fairly busy month or so or a, a difficult month I think there were plenty of reports that he was looking to move on but they've kept him he scored the first goal uh, they got a second goal hung on uh, it's a huge huge win for Charlton and you have to say now a huge way back for Barnsley yeah I mean Barnsley are striking me at the moment as kind of the leads of the relegation battle <laughs> because this was this was another game where they had so many chances and didn't necessarily do much wrong. Uh, Brown, Woodrow and Halmer all hit the woodwork during the game. And the man of the match was, was Dylan Phillips, the Charlton keeper. Um, but, you know, they've come away from it to, with a 2-1 defeat in the biggest game of the season. And as you say, that's probably bad news for Barnsley because it means that they can have a real struggle to stay up. It's probably bad news for any club that's going to be in League One next season because... Barnsley was so strong when they came down last time and I can't see this being any different, especially if they keep Struber um, as their manager. Um, and I have a feeling some of these youngsters who've come in this season uh, after a season of championship football will certainly be pretty lively uh, next in the next campaign in League One. Mm. So difficult for Barnsley to take this. I think, again, that they'll, you know, their fans are going to feel consistently like in the last few weeks they haven't been getting the, the points their performances deserve. For Charlton, um, this is going to be a very welcome uh, feeling maybe uh, to I mean it's not as harsh to say that they didn't deserve the win because they went 2-0 up and are obviously going to sit back on their lead but just nice for them who they've had a couple of games recently where they'll feel hard done by as well um, yeah. so to get the you know the home form now is very very strong um, they've beaten Barnsley at home they've beaten Bristol City at home they've drawn with with West Brom um, you know this is a side now and they've drawn with Fulham so this is a side who are taking on some of the the informed teams at the top end of the table and tricky teams like Barnsley and, they, and they're getting their rewards for it. So that should be enough, you'd think, now for Charlton um, to, to to push themselves away from trouble, although Wigan's form below them is obviously a bit of a concern. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, I mean, they've, they've had different contributors throughout the season, haven't they, Charlton? And with injury crises and you know a, a lack of resources to uh, compared to other teams in the league sometimes they've been relying on lesser known players but it's Andre Green who we've seen plenty 
uh, on loan and, and at, at his spell with, with Aston Villa, of course, where he was in the team a bit at the end of last season. A really nice pickup. Uh, it looks like on loan he got the second goal, which was a key goal in this game. Uh, looks like a nice addition to that team. So good work done by Charlton there, both to hang on to Lyle Taylor uh, and to get in a couple of bodies to help them get results like that. The last result in the Championship that we have to discuss, uh, I think probably we would say... Uh, well, would we say it, it, it doesn't matter hugely uh, in the big picture? I don't know. But Derby beat Stoke 4-0 on Friday night uh, while we were in at Sky. Uh, it puts Derby rather sweetly onto 10 wins, 10 draws and 10 defeats in the league this season, which I think sums them up pretty well. And their position of 13th, I think, reflects that too. Um, and uh, ahead of any potential wranglings uh, about stadium sales with the EFL, the more points, the better for Derby. But we've also just seen... Like, I mean, it was just, a, it kind of had a bit of everything that Derby fans would have wanted to see. Good performance from those young players, but also a, a wonderful Wayne Rooney uh, free kick uh, and an absolute beauty from Jaden Bogle. So uh, it was a really positive uh, evening for, for, for Derby. For Stoke, uh, and they just kind of chucked in a bit of a stinker of a performance, which I think they probably weren't expecting, given a recent upturn in fortunes under Michael O'Neill. They just have to be careful, Stoke, because... As you mentioned, Wigan there, uh, uh, two wins in a week. It's only two points the gap. We were absolutely at the risk of, of sort of giving Stoke and Huddersfield survival, giving them safety, uh, but there's still 16 games to play and uh, they, they absolutely need to make sure that they don't lose any of that form. Uh, in, in terms of the transfer window, um, the, the deadline day didn't see tons and tons and tons of big deals being made. Uh, one... One incident, I suppose, that did catch our eye, George, was uh, that the the circumstances around Nathan Ferguson, the West Brom defender, uh, who's really who really sort of took the league by storm, kind of out of nowhere, the first few months of the season. Uh, he was meant to be getting a move to Crystal Palace, uh, but for quite disappointing reasons, I think, and quite uh, mur not murky reasons, but confusing reasons, that didn't happen. Uh, talk me through. Uh, this this incident and where we find out about it. Yeah, so the piece is by Steve Madley and Dominic Fifield, uh, and it's called Revealed. The reasons Nathan Ferguson's move from West Brom to Crystal Palace collapsed. And, you know, if you're anyone like myself who has watched Nathan Ferguson this season come from complete obscurity into being one of the best fullbacks in the league, that's basically all you know. Uh, there was no surprise to see him linked to Crystal Palace uh, in the window because... In my opinion, uh, the fullbacks of West Brom have been a key reason why they've been so good this season, especially with their attacking output, and he's been key to that. Um, so I think this is this article is interesting, just as a bit of an eye opener into what's going on, what goes on kind of behind the scenes with these players and these clubs, because uh, there's a few in, bits of insight in there that you know has you pretty flummoxed. Uh, for example, he was a player who probably looked set to be released from West Brom fairly soon before Slavin Bilic came in. Uh, he was a centre-back by trade when Bilic came in as well, which is something I just was very surprised to read. Earning £1,000 a week, which he's still earning now. So he, despite the fact he's playing, you know, he's one of the key men for a, for a, for a club currently topping the championship and about to hopefully earn a, a huge windfall into the Premier League. He's still only earning a grand a week. Um, and it was Bilic who turned him into a full-back over the summer, mm. uh, where he's been very, very good on both flanks. Um, and... Uh, you know the the kind of the cash that has been floating around him for a while now. Um, you know whether it's the the million pound bonus that West Brom had promised him if he signs a new contract, whether it's the thirty grand 
a week um, that he was offered at Crystal Palace. And I know there'll be some people out there thinking to themselves, like, oh, Crimea River, you're not getting your 30 grand a week. But this is a young kid who's had a bit of a roller coaster year. Um, and so when he went to, to Crystal Palace to finalise the deal, he thought everything was fine. And it turns out that um, there is an underlying knee problem. Um, and the, the medical staff at both West Brom and Crystal Palace uh, disagree on, on the severity of it. Uh, Palace thinks it needs immediate attention and immediate surgery. Um, West Brom uh, need to, they want to take another look at it. So you've and got and a he guy played, here. He played a game just a few days before a league game yeah. and, and felt no ill effects. So it's one of those no. sort of lingering under the surface. That's what that's what Palace think anyway, and West Brom rejecting that. But the fact was that it basically put Palace off paying the price they wanted to pay for him. Uh, they couldn't renegotiate a lower price that they thought seemed fair, given the, the nature of, of this potential injury. And essentially the outcome is a, a bit of an awkward one, isn't it? Because he's still at West Brom now. He didn't make the move to Palace. He probably would have been a, a, well, depending on what happened with that knee, he could have been a contributor to their first team playing Premier League football, you know, by the end of the season, really, because Palace aren't flush with fullbacks. As it is, he's back at West Brom. They signed Lee Peltier on deadline day, to play well for right back cover they've already got a fair few other fullbacks in the team and the situation with him and his contract being up in the summer just really puts everything in quite an awkward scenario including Nathan Ferguson so it's a fascinating read uh, as you mentioned on the athletic site Steve Madeley and Don Fifield uh, with loads of information and I think gives a, a good insight into how it can be for well for any player but especially interesting in this case for such a, a talented young player to be in the midst of, of uh, wrangling, really, that, that directly impacts his own future. And I think it was a, a fascinating read. So we would push you towards The Athletic site, towards subscribing to it, of course, if you haven't already. Uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 will get you a, a seven-day free trial so you can check it out. Uh, all the beautiful ad-free writing that you can get your teeth into, not just football, but uh, American sports as well. Plenty of Super Bowl reviews as you can imagine uh, give it a go today and see how you feel about it going forward because there's also plenty of podcasts available including our own going up going down at the back end of each week which so far has been getting some very very pleasant feedback so thank brave you brave reviews well i wasn't going to go that far george but you said it <laughs> and i'll take it um a, a nice efl rewind last week uh, about jermaine defoe's record-breaking loan spell at bournemouth that was following on from george's uh, tale of Ramon Diaz at Oxford United. So we're really enjoying doing that one. We hope that you'll head to the, the Going Up, Going Down podcast feed as well and subscribe so that you can pick those up uh, on Thursdays. Uh, League One, George, God, there's absolutely tons of results in League One that probably bear talking about. Now, uh, I've got to go see a chiropractor in about 45 minutes. So <laughs> you, you, you booked in? I'm booked in, mate. I'm booked Good. in. Good. Emergency chiropracting. Um, chiropracticing, whatever the verb is. Look, um, uh, I, I, I want to open the floor up to you. I think we probably start, don't we, with Ipswich 1, Peterborough 4, because of what that, that sort of reflected for both teams and posh uh, leapfrogging, to use that quite football-specific <laughs> term, uh, leapfrogging Ipswich to move into third, albeit they've played a game more and have just one point more. But a <laughs> Rotherham really... fans across the country gutted that you've kissed no, we're gonna get, on the way through. We're going to get but... to that. We're going to get to that. I just think this is the most eye-catching result. In fairness, I don't think there are Rotherham fans across the country, so <laughs> I don't think that makes sense. But um, yeah, I mean, for, for Ipswich, Peterborough, uh, this result really sums up the last kind of four weeks for both sides 
Uh, I think probably Ipswich fans were as surprised as we were when they hit the top of the league a couple of weeks ago um, because they are looking very, very poor indeed. Uh, I put, I kind of nailed my colours to the mast on Twitter about six weeks ago and said there's no way they were going to uh, win the league. So when they hit the top spot, I was getting a bit nervous, but I just, I mean, I couldn't stand by that more. I, I think they might not even make, make the playoffs. It feels like everything there is just falling apart completely. And that's, you know, you've got to give Peterborough credit for this. Um, they look absolutely is, transformed, don't they? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of the fourth game in a row where they have just completely blown away the side they're playing against. The mm. total, total and utter domination. The Ipswich couldn't even get a foothold in the game whatsoever. Um, and it's that that trio, as as Colin Murray called it, the STD <laughs> of, uh, of Sammy Smodix, Ivan Tony, and and um, and uh, Siriki Dembele. Uh, just so so impressive, and their movement together, the way that they interact i mean it's not just it was, it was exactly the same with, with with the three at the beginning of the season with with isa madison and and tony where it wasn't just the three of them getting the goals it was the way that they interlinked and the way they played with each other and that's exactly what we're seeing here mm. um smodix has made a brilliant start to life at, at london road and so so impressive tony as ever the uh you know the, the main man up top and then dembele is really coming to to prove himself as being an exciting an exciting talent for this side um and you know, Darren McAnthony said he would resign um, if if they didn't achieve promotion. I think we all know that whether they achieve promotion or not, they have. So whether they can keep him or not, I mean, Ivan Tony. I think he uh, said is, if they don't make the playoffs. I think that's what he if said. They don't make the playoffs, and they've won uh, four out I mean, of four since then. I've, Ivan Tony will um, likely leave the club at the end of the season, but they have a much better chance of keeping him if they do go up. And you know, if if Ipswich went to the, into this game thinking, all right, this is a test to see if we're up to it or not. Um, they got a pretty pretty firm answer. Well, in terms of Rotherham, Will Daniels uh, tweeted us his Sunday scouting report, uh, calling it a statement win for them. Uh, but he did point out they didn't play very well, but picked up the three points. I guess that's that's the statement uh, in Will's eyes. There, it was a good game against a good Burton side, uh, and they needed the big on loan Leicester goalkeeper Daniel Iverson or Everson. Never sure how you give that one a pronunciation. Uh, he was a uh, big, big... Ask Stefan. Yeah, ask his not-father, Stefan. Uh, big saves for him in the first half. But also, I think, notable just looking at the at the sort of top-level stuff to see Smith scoring again, to see Ladapo coming off the bench and scoring. He's had to wait for chances because of the form of Vassell and Smith. And when you look across the league during January, so many clubs and their fans crying out for a, a striker, that always seems to be the, the, the position that people are after. Rotherham, an absolute embarrassment of riches in that front. Uh, and they picked up Josh Caroma on loan as well. So uh, plenty of options going forward for Rotherham. They picked up that win against Burton without looking particularly strong. I tell you who did look strong in every facet was, was Portsmouth against Sunderland. And look, mm. it, it was a 2-0 win and both goals came from set pieces. That is an area that they've excelled at in the last few weeks, as have Rotherham. Um, but the the sort of the main visuals of this game for me, uh, and I had this on uh, one of the screens in at Quest, was just a strong, strong performance from front to back for Pompey. And I mean from from front to back because uh, the goalkeeper McGillivray made some big saves as well in the first half when Sunderland had a bit of pressure. But once uh, once Portsmouth did get a foothold in the game, they dominated it. Uh, Sunderland just really couldn't get anything going in the second half, which will be disappointing having gone behind to that set piece uh, and then conceding another one. But a, a, a massive day for, for Pompey fans. Curtis getting both assists. He then signed a, a new long-term contra uh, long contract. Uh, and, you know, we've spoken about it quite a lot in the last few weeks. You've got Plymouth in League Two, whose 
form over the last 20 games or so is absolutely exceptional. And I think probably if you do the same in League One, Portsmouth come out on top. So there are a couple of teams who are, are not in the automatic promotion places, although I think Plymouth actually are, but Portsmouth in six, uh, sixth. But they are certainly, you know, the, the, the ones looming, the ones picking up points at a serious lick at the moment. And that's good to see. Although there's another set of fans who think they're probably going under the radar, George. It's Coventry. They've only lost three games this season, Coventry, out of 27. Mm. Rotherham have lost eight. Uh, so five fewer defeats for Cov, but 12 wins and 12 draws. It's the draws that have been the issue. But they're also on fantastic form and turned in a very eye-catching display in uh, with another away win this weekend. So plenty of kudos to Mark Robbins' Coventry, as as always. Yeah, as always. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same every week. You can't give them, give them enough credit. Um, the reason for that quirk, as you that you mentioned, was because they didn't win an away game till till December. But since they broke that duck, they've been kind of rampant on the roads. Uh, this was another decent performance, no better than that, against a, a struggling Bristol Rovers side who really have dropped off a cliff since Graham Coughlin left the club. There was me saying it was a good thing. Uh, don't always get it right. Um, but just five shots in the game um, will we'll tell a bit of a story here that, that Mark Robbins will need improvement probably a good time to, to put in this kind of a performance um, but they get the the, uh, the the three points they needed and, and you say they're under the radar I mean I think they've got a massive chance of of going up this season because uh, you look at the sides in that top eight I would say they're in good form you've certainly got Rotherham I mean Wickham are in a fourth position in second we know that our Peterbridge is running hot I've already said I don't fancy it switch in fourth and that leaves Coventry in fifth so in my head, they're kind of already third uh, with also bunched up there. Nice. OK, I mean, I'm finding it impossible. I won't be making any predictions at the moment. On League One, so much still to happen. We've got, what, uh, about 30? No, about 15 games left in that division, and it's absolutely mm. fascinating. Towards the bottom, c- credit to a couple of teams. I mean, I will just pay off uh, home wins for Oxford and Fleetwood. Good victories against decent sides in Doncaster and, and Blackpool. Uh, Blackpool having signed a whole new team in January, really backing Simon Grayson and uh, not getting the results to boot. Um, and uh, what was I going to say? Down the bottom, quite interesting because Southend had a, a miserable week, really. Uh, key departures uh, due to, well, a necessity to cut costs, really, ahead of a campaign in League Two next season. So Hopper went to Lincoln. Cox, we know, had already gone to the A-League. Bishop, their goalkeeper, 20-year-old, signed for Manchester United, which is a hell of a move for him. Uh, Humphreys and Dieng were injured, uh, but they got a win against Lincoln and showed a lot of character. So while Sol Campbell continues to make slightly conf- slightly odd statements, uh, his way of expressing himself not always particularly standard, if you will, compared to what we expect from uh, uh, many managers across the EFL, that the team is playing for him. They certainly were. They got the win at the end. Uh, it, it doesn't make any difference, I don't think, for their uh, potential relegation. But... Uh, Another big result down here was Bolton beating Tramier 2 0. Uh, and for me, that was quite significant, uh, partly, well, mainly because it now means that Bolton have actually picked up more points than Tramier this season, uh, having played a game less. So obviously, they've got the minus 12 points deduction. If they hadn't, they'd be on 23 from 26 games. Tramier at 22 from 27. So gives a good indication of how poor Tramier have been uh, and actually how tough they've found it to pick up points. There's now a six point gap between them. And Wimbledon in 20th, uh, they have played a game less, but things looking very tricky for Tramier. It might be 
that we don't have much of a, a relegation battle in League One this season, I think. Uh, good wins as well for Accrington and for Rochdale. Dale have done really well in the last few weeks to move themselves away from what looked like it could have been quite a perilous position about uh, six weeks ago, so credit to them. Uh, and finally, MK Dons uh, beating Wickham. Really strong home performance, good home win. And yeah, if you look at the job that Russ Martin's doing, you have to applaud because uh, if you look at the last eight games in League One, uh, the fifth best record in the league, MK Dons, four wins in their last eight, which is uh, certainly not relegation battle form and uh, has helped them to, to move away from that. At League Two, we had first v second, George. Swindon versus Exeter. You previewed it on going up, going down pod. How do you start to review this game? Swindon leaving with three points in front of 13,000 diehard Swindon fans uh, at the county ground. And they got to see their hero, Owen Doyle, scoring the opening goal as well. Ha, ha, ha. Very good. <laughs> that really uh, annoyed it, me. That really, really it, annoyed it me. It really annoys me too. Anyone, I mean, we better say in case no one knows what we're talking about. A corner comes in from from um, from, from Doughty and it hits an Exeter, an Exeter defender and then hits the keeper and goes in for what is the most blatant own goal you've ever seen. And as of 4.19 on Monday, the 3rd of February, so over 48 hours later, the goal still belongs to Owen Doyle. The stupid thing is, is that Swindon never gave it to Doyle, never claimed that it came off Doyle, and their match report, it was an own goal. Um, they, they, I mean, look, I, I, I should, I guess, point out that you know, it's a it's a it's a human error uh, at first from whoever is covering that game for the data provider, the the provider that provides the goal scorers and other things for things such as Gillette Soccer Saturday and Final Score and BT Sport the score. Um, they they've seen the wrong thing and they've clicked the wrong button. Uh, I should point out that the cameraman did zoom in immediately on Doyle and then follow him down the touchline as he went and celebrated with Doughty. So there was it was misleading uh, initially. Um, but having seen the goal back, it became quite clear that it wasn't Doyle. Uh, it's just disappointing that it hasn't been changed, I think, at this stage because I mean, he doesn't need any help. Exactly, to be he doesn't need any help. Square. But th this is just, I mean, you have to have... The thing about data and the, the data we use and, and stats and everything is you have to have faith in the stuff you're using. And, you know, Owen Doyle needs no help to get the League 2 top goal scorer award this season. But for a whole manner of things, whether it's research, whether it's betting or whatever, you have to be able to rely on the data that you're being provided. And you'd think that who scored a goal would be the most <laughs> basic of things to get right. And, you know, as I mentioned on Twitter earlier, there are people out there who'd have backed Randall Williams to be first goal scorer, which should be a winner because the first goal is an own goal and they've not been paid out. I've heard from people on Twitter who are at the game, who backed Doyle to score first, who've got money sitting in their accounts. It's an absolute farce. Yeah, not good. Joke. Not good. Anyway, you know what else is game, a joke? The job that Richie Wellens has done at this football club. I mean, he's brilliant. It, it, feels like, it feels like we've actually not not focused on him enough in recent months, partly because, not to, not to blow our own trumpets, we definitely did feel that he was a, a you know, I'm not going to go as far as to say a special manager, but pre-season predictions for Swindon were largely predicated on we think they'll do well because since Wellens has come in, they've visibly improved in every way and they've changed the style to the extent that you feel like if he can get his recruitment right, the right sort of players in, they'll get even better. But, I mean, we should just make sure that we're, that we're making it quite clear the job that Richie Wellens has done not his first ever job because he had a, a an ill-fated spell at Oldham on their way down from League One. But for a first proper job without 
uh, quite considerable constraints as he had at Oldham. I mean, this is a serious start to a managerial career. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, I mean, I, I definitely echo that. I think that he is, I mean, I've said this to you already, that I think he is, you know, the asset that Spin didn't have, um, you know, above... We talk a lot about Doyle and, and Yates, and, and rightly so, and Doughty as well. But I think he is the the asset. He's the one who they need to keep hold of in the summer. He's the one who, uh, you know, a lot of talk about whether or not they'll keep Doyle beyond the end of the year, whether they can get Yates on a, on a permanent deal. But Wellens is the one they need to keep. And if, they, if they're still lining up with him, no matter what league they're in or whatever, if they've still got him at the club in the beginning of August, then they've done very well in the summer. Mm. Um, you know, one other player that obviously needs some credit as well, who's having a really good, really, really strong second half of the season so far is Jai, Jai Nice. Um, he's a player who you know, hasn't really got the headlines yet, who maybe has been eased into his, his season-long loan from, uh, from Norwich. But playing on that right-hand side, he is very quick. He's very quick, creative. He's a good footballer. Uh, and he's someone who I reckon will have a pretty... Um, let's say, if this is the first time you've heard, you're hearing of him, um, I think we'll hear about him a few times in the next uh, in the next couple of months. I think a lot of people listening will have seen the, the viral clip of Neymar being booked for a rainbow flick over the weekend for Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> and uh, it was only last week that Jai Semi did the same thing in a game for Swindon. Uh, didn't see enough uh, Didn't see enough of that online, although, no. to, to be fair, he did lose the ball at the end of it, but even so. Um, and look, actually quite significant for Exeter because for all that they've been very, very good this season, they've actually dropped out of the automatic promotion uh, places because Crewe and Plymouth both won again uh, Northampton won as well they're now just two points behind Exeter it feels to me like we've got five teams going into three spots here and I'm not ruling out Northampton Town because they're just they're a bit of a machine at the moment they're just they're, they are probably still under the radar they might actually be the Portsmouth uh, or the Coventry team that you know people see them up there they recognize that they've been there for a few months but they probably don't understand the extent to which they've been picking up wins, picking up points uh, under Keith Curl. He's really getting a tune out of that team. Uh, Nicky Adams especially has been absolutely magnificent in the last few weeks and, and providing plenty of assists. But Crew, bit of a weird wrinkle for them. Uh, they've played 30 games. They've they've conceded first in 17 out of their 30 games, more than half, uh, which doesn't so weird. doesn't feel ideal to me. Um, no. But they've but they've only lost. I think I think seven of those 17 times they've gone behind. So their, their record when going behind is is what's, well, is, is kind of the key yeah. here. But, you know, I think while that's being held up quite rightly as an indicator of great character, uh, calmness, I suppose, uh, an understanding of how to get back into games and how to continue creating chances against teams that, that are trying to defend a lead. And that is hugely impressive because a lot of teams struggle with that. Uh, I mean, ideally, we wouldn't be conceding the first goal uh, to the same extent. Plymouth uh, got a good win as well as ever. Um, but there's a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. We, we mentioned John Yems. Or was there was there something Yemsy. you wanted to say there quickly? I, yeah, yeah, there was. You, you literally heard my mouth open. I did. Yeah. Um, we're we're telepathic be, now. You said it would be three. Sorry, five into three. Mm. And I think that I mean Colchester is still definitely there, but I think you have to include Cheltenham in, in the reckoning. Okay. Um, they were fortunate. Um, to win on Saturday against, against a, a Morecambe team who I think I want to keep an eye on in the next few weeks because they've certainly improved. Um, but with, with Luke Varney back from injury, with, uh, with Alfie May doing some really good stuff early on in his spell there, and given they've got at least one game in hand on pretty much everyone above them except for Plymouth, and they're only on 48 points. So if they were to win that game in hand, they would be in that group. Um, I think you have to include them in the, in the reckoning. Okay, okay. One team very much not in our automatic promotion picture having been very much in the picture 
for the majority of the start of the season. Bradford City, uh, George, uh, 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 a headline few days for Bradford. Talk me through it. Uh, they're rubbish, uh, basically. <laughs> um, they, they've they sacked Gary Bowyer today and um, I mean, justifiably so. It's been a Fair torrid, to say you torrid... were not surprised. No. Um, I mean, I, I, I wonder if this is... Quite often we ask the question as to whether a team's good form is because of their, their kind of head coach or their manager. And here, I know that Bradford fans are convinced that Gary Bowyer is clueless and this is about time. I do also wonder if, if, if he is the person to blame for their um, malaise. I, I don't think this is a squad full of much quality at all. Um, any quality they had, they seem to let go on deadline day. Um, and I don't really see any reason why this team and this side should have more points than they do. I mean, they've come off the back here of, of a really, really poor six or seven games. Mm. Um, there's no denying that. Uh, and they've got two decent centre-backs in, in, in Paulie O'Connor and Richard Everton as well, who, who would walk into most sides in this league. And as such, they've conceded you know, not very many goals so far this season. I think it's 36, um, which has them kind of as one of, one of the meanest defences in the league. But going forward, they've been appalling. And I don't see where the creativity comes from. Now that Vaughan has gone, now that Doyle, who was only there for about four minutes, has gone as well, I don't see where the goals come from either. Mm. Um, and I think whoever comes into this job, and I'm sure they'll get a decent manager because it's a you know it's a big side, it's a big club. I'm sure they'll they'll get supported in the transfer market in the summer. But I don't think there's going to be any quick fix here because it's just a side lacking quality. Yeah, what one of the teams that have beaten them during this run uh, is Crawley Town. That was back on the 11th of January. Bradford, no wins in seven, as you say. Just the one win in 2020, which was a 1-0 home win to Morecambe. I, I would point out they've had five away games in this run of seven, which is not easy for any side, uh, especially when the games are coming thick and fast. But it certainly got to a point where Gary Bowie's position there it felt felt sort of unrevivable and it'd be really interesting to see who they go for they, they do kind of need to get this right don't they there's been now a, a succession of of managers that have not succeeded at Bradford um and 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 as we often say when that's the case you have to start wondering uh how much as you've just mentioned how much to blame the managers and how much to point at the the foundation that they have at the club and the and the uh, the atmosphere i suppose around the place i tell you who is doing a cracking job john yems at crawley absolutely i'm i'm absolutely addicted to yems right now um <laughs> His uh, iced Ro roast yems, yeah, iced yems. I was going to say um, <laughs> he, he's doing a fantastic job at Crawley. And look, we were very sad to see Gabriele Cioffi uh, leave. It was a real shot in the arm for us. But he he's doing a smashing job since he took charge. They've got the seventh best record in League Two. Uh, good defensive record. A lot of draws in there. Six draws out of twelve. Just two defeats uh, and four wins. And he seems to have put together a partnership up front of Ollie Palmer and Ashley Addison who are just absolutely loving playing up top together and combining for some 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 sort of front two combination goals that are just a real treat to see at League 2 level and and uh, not something that we see too often so very welcome there should also point can out I, can I well I just want to say can, can we I mean on the old Yems puns I yeah. think you know there's a, there's a film at the moment out with Adam Sandra and it called Uncut Gems yes for which the you know the synopsis is a charismatic jeweler makes a high stakes bet that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Amazing. And I, re I I really think that you know Netflix or Amazon or someone should commission us to do you know a second half of season documentary called Uncut Yems, all about um, Crawley Town owner Zia Aren 
um, getting you know Johnny Ems in to try and make that gamble to get it up back up into League One. I, I think can, it would be huge. I completely agree with you. Uh, if anyone's good at Photoshop and has five minutes spare, please tweet us at NTT20Pod. We're very poor creatively, both George and I, but if, <laughs> if anyone can mock up an Uncut Gems movie poster with John Yems's face uh, on Adam Sandler, then that would genuinely make my week. In fact, it would probably, probably heal my back. So if anyone, wants to, if anyone wants to do that, that'd be great. I wanted to point out, by the way, that it was Oldham who thrashed Bradford, who spelled the end for Gary Bowyer. Uh, and the one player that's really standing out for Oldham at the moment, on loan from Bristol City, like so many other players at League One and League Two level, uh, is Johnny Smith, who's a left-footed winger, uh, who is just excelling uh, and, and one of a number of young players on loan from Bristol City that I enjoy watching. So I, I love what they do in terms of getting their young players game time. Uh, they seem to pick the right situations for them, even though Oldham, it, to my eyes, is not necessarily the best situation. It has provided a platform for, for Smith to, to play and to excel. And, and some of his goals in recent weeks have been absolutely fantastic. So well done to everyone that we've mentioned. Uh, a late, late nod to Ruel Sotiriu, the Leighton Orient for, forward that we mentioned last week, uh, who, uh, yeah, who, who's done it again. Uh, a double on the weekend, one with his right foot, one with his left foot. We're looking at a young player here who they sent out on loan to Dover in November. Scored the winner in the FA Cup against Southend. Scored a brace in a league game. Orient thought, yeah, we can have a bit of that. Uh, got him back and it's five league goals in 483 minutes, which is a serious lick. Uh, fantastic, fantastic performance from Satiriu, someone we're going to keep an eye on, but it might be that Orient have got their next Bon, their next uh, their next Caroma. So uh, thank you guys. George, anything, anything to add? I feel like that's been a, a pretty vintage uh, Monday pod, despite having to do it over the phone. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you later in the week. We're going to go to the uh, Oxford-Newcastle game tomorrow, aren't we? The replay of the game that we were at up at St. James's Park. See how Oxford get on. Uh, we've also got Going Up, Going Down podcast released on Thursday afternoon. It does not come out on this podcast feed, so all you have to do, it'll take 10 seconds. Wherever you listen to this pod, Search on that platform for Going Up, Going Down. Completely free to listen to. You don't have to subscribe to The Athletic, although, of course, we would implore you to do so and use the uh, athletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20pod to do so. Um, But we're really enjoying making those. We really want, obviously... Uh, more people to listen to them so go and get on that Uh, Friday night we'll be back in uh, the studio with David Prutton and others Bristol City Birmingham uh, on Sky on Friday night also if today's pod has not been enough for you and you haven't already listened to it give our NTT 20 meets Nigel Clough a go it was released over the weekend the current Burton manager uh, sat down with myself just a week or so ago and what an interesting man Obviously, with his family heritage, someone who can genuinely say he has spent his whole lifetime within football. Uh, His time at Burton is obviously focused on, but also spells with Derby and Sheffield United. And the usual sort of slightly random questioning, uh, whatever pops into my mind that I think would be interesting to ask. And sometimes those things are a bit unusual, but I think they bring out the best in our interviewees. And Nigel Clough is no different. Honest open uh, and yeah very open especially towards the end of the pod about his future ambitions I'd love that uh, if you could give that a go this week and let us know what you think about this week's NTT 20 meets with Nigel Clough but for the rest of the week enjoy I hope that it is prosperous and fun and uh, thanks very much for listening to the not the top 20 pod we'll speak again soon